Yeah, as I said, I've, I've been struggling a bit with my voice, so we'll see how we go. I'm sure we'll be absolutely fine. I, uh, I blame the referee from yesterday, if anything, for that voice. I was, and at, when we were singing worship, I, uh, I ended up doing what we used to do in COVID, where we weren't allowed to sing, so you had to like mouth like a goldfish was like the closest you could get to. Do you remember that? Sort of where you just sit between, underneath your mask, just mouth the words was the closest we could get to be, you know, praising our God underneath the uh, COVID rec- uh, restrictions. But uh, anyway, so uh, continuing in our series on discipleship, and we've been looking at Matthew, but it, it, it is, you know, you know, it's two weeks before Christmas, so... I have I have gone a bit off piste, and of course, you know, we're looking at Luke chapter two as well uh, today. Given that we are two weeks uh, two weeks out, Norbert uh, fantastically brought a lot of stuff last last week, and one of the things he talked about was around how important our names are, uh, as we see recorded in things like you know, Chronicles and Numbers, and that the disciples are listed that God calls us by name. And I wanted to just extend that a little bit and think about well. What are you known for? What are you known for? What are some of the first things people think about, family members or friends or work colleagues, when they say your name? And it's interesting what does stick in people's minds. Um, To illustrate that point, I've brought along a little trophy. And this was given to me from uh, a team that I worked with uh, in, in, in the work context. And uh, I moved teams about two and a half years ago. And the team that I was with, I was with them for about five years, did a lot of work together. We, we, we traveled quite a bit. So there was a lot, quite a very close, close-knit team in, in sort of what we were, what we were doing. And uh, one of the gifts they gave me was this trophy, which says, dance... On the, on, on the top, and it's engraved Gartner's, so that's the company I worked for, Gartner's Best Dancer. <laughs> Matt the Hips Hoyles. <laughs> now, you could say I've been waiting for the last two years to sort of shoehorn this into a preach to show you this. It's not the case. Although I do have this at my office at home, I have this sit sitting in a, on a sort of shelf behind me, and so whenever I'm on video calls and stuff, I'm always longing for someone just to ask, you know, what's that? What's that trophy? So I can sort of I can show it, I can show it to them. But that interestingly was what stuck my my dancing from um, other countries and in the UK and any opportunity first and last one on the dance floor in in a lot of cases. That's what stuck in their minds. That's what they stuck in their minds. Not a, you know, it's hopefully some other good attributes or things that I have. Uh, that you know, but for them, it was it was the dancing, and I'll take that unofficial title of the best dancer in the company. But as I said, interesting what sticks in people's minds, and there's there's two particular people when we look at Luke chapter two, uh, where there's not a lot said about them, relatively speaking, in that passage even. And they're not mentioned uh, anywhere else in the Bible. Um, 
but it's just really interesting, I think, for us to reflect on what they've been known for, certainly over church history, what has really stood out about these two individuals. Both of them were in their later years, uh, two people, actually, that could have easily chosen to, to, to act or behave or to decide uh, and act differently, to be frustrated or to be bitter, to, to, to actually maybe coast to the end, as they were in their later years, or to, as John Piper famously said, you know, to go and collect their seashells and present their seashell collection to God. But what we read and what we see in these two individuals are two people that still proactively choose to be obedient and to be faithful, to serve and to act, to be participating in what God was doing, to, to orientate themselves, to move themselves in response to the Spirit and in proximity to the Spirit. And, and we don't know anything about them as a, apart from this, about them still raising their hand, still willing to serve, still willing to say, still use me, Lord. I am here, ready to be used. And they're known for these things now and remembered as such. So the first is a gentleman called Simeon. So Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 32. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel so this man Simeon that's all we know of him in that passage we can see already just a patient obedience that he had been told we don't know exactly but had been told perhaps years before that he was going to see the Messiah he was going to see the consolation he was going to see the salvation of Israel and if he had told people, likely he may have told people, this revelation that God had given him. I, I definitely would have wanted to make sure I was close to him. Wherever Simeon is, I want to be. But I'm sure there were others that probably took a different approach. Perhaps met with scepticism or sarcasm or even ridicule. In that temple court. Oh, there's old Simeon there. You're still waiting, Simeon. You're still there. You're still waiting to seed our salvation. Oh, there's Simeon. Another year. Another year's past, Simeon. You're not getting any younger. And then they're walking away. That's old Simeon. Mad as a box of frogs he is. You can imagine, just human nature. Just, just human nature. There's gonna, there's, I'm sure if, if he had told people this revelation, there would have been people making those types of comments. And he met that 
perhaps scepticism or sarcasm or ridicule, still patiently obedient. The humility, the humility of, what, of the waiting. It's not glamorous. It wouldn't have been eye-catching. At the very least, he may have just been met by indifference or complete ridicule. Nothing eye-catching about his waiting. Nothing to write home about, but God honoured it. God honoured it and God still honours your waiting, whatever it may be in there. And the scepticism or the ridicule or the sarcasm or the, 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 the lies of Satan to dissuade and discourage. You're waiting and you're, and you're pressing in for a, a particular person to come to Christ or in a particular situation or a circumstance. There is nothing glamorous or eye-catching in the waiting. There is humility and faithful obedience in God to move. But Simeon waited in the face of perhaps lies from the devil. Are you sure that's what, he, what was said to you? Perhaps ridicule and sarcasm. God honours the waiting and his weight and your weight, our weight is always worth it. You know, how many times has that not been the case of, of, of waiting and it never meeting that kind of expectation? Even if England had won the World Cup, it wouldn't have been as sweet as maybe I had it in my mind of hoisting Noah, my 10-year-old son, on the shoulders, going down the streets of Adelstone, people put, you know, you know, it never, it would have been, it would have, you know, just you know, it would have been, oh, it's too cold. <laughs> too cold. <laughs> I'm not bothering that. Just, <laughs> we'll do it another time. Like, it, that, the weight for, for whatever it may be, you know, whatever, it, 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 it never can meet that expectation sometimes. But that, that never is true. It is never true when God moves, when God decides to move, when God intervenes, when, when God plays a role and God, is, God, 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 God moves and the Spirit moves. There is never disappointment. There is never disappointment. There is never a lack of expectation. He always exceeds bountifully and is abundantly sufficient in all that he does. And Simeon, for Simeon, the weight was worth it because he says, take me, I can die a happy man. If this is my last hour on earth, I can die a happy man. I have seen your salvation. I have seen the Messiah. And also Simeon didn't miss it. He didn't miss what was in front of him. He knew it as soon as he saw it. I don't know, it's not too clear kind of Simeon's position here if he was a, a priest or, but there's something quite just odd in an old elderly man coming in and, and a young couple coming in with a baby in arms. And the way it reads is Simeon, an older man, just sort of rushes to the door and takes the baby from them, takes him in his arms and starts declaring these truths and these, these, uh, these words. But Simeon knew it as soon as he saw it. He knew, he saw God right before his eyes. You know, and I ask, think to myself and ask, ask us all of, you know, we can sometimes be guilty of, you know, do, do we look but not really see? How many times do we do that? That we're, we're, we can fail to see what God is doing in front of our very eyes. 
How many times has God worked, the Spirit moved right in front of us and we've missed it? We've either been distracted, we've maybe prioritised other things, we may have dismissed it as being something else. But how many times does God move, the Spirit move in our midst right in front of our eyes and we miss it? Simeon didn't miss it. Because for Simeon, that was a revelation that he had had. And he every day was looking for it. Every day he was looking for it. Every day we should be looking for the movement of the Spirit. Looking for God to move. Looking for salvation and for peace. For others, for ourselves and for others. We also go on to read about Anna. Uh, from verse 36, there was a prophet, prophetess, uh, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Or it's a bit, it's either that she was a widow until she was 84 she was an, or she was a widow for 84 years. Either way, she's very old. She's been a widow for a very, very long time. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, coming up to, to um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In just in those verses, Anna is, is just known there especially verse 38 uh, of speaking about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was known for telling, just telling people about what she had seen, telling people what she knew to be true, not telling them about a religion, of course, at that time, or a doctrine, or even a, a decades-long testimony, but simply telling them what she knew to be true what she had seen in front of her very own eyes. And again, she's a person like Simeon that could have made a different decision than what she had done in terms of faithfully being there at the temple that we read about. She never left the temple. She worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. This is a lady that had been a widow for decades. Could have just as easily have been a, a Miss Havisham type of character that are just very bitter and cold and aloof. But no, out of that deep personal tragedy, she still faithfully was in that temple, day and night, pressing in, praying, looking to be used for God to work through. A widow for so long, but she still served the Lord faithfully for decades and had a, a heart in her, just following on in that passage, a heart and an instinct to share. Not what, you know, Bar Barney kind of said about the slides, he couldn't share sort of the, not for, you know, only for internal use. No, that wasn't stamped on Anna's heart. What she had seen in her mind, so that's only for, only for myself to upfill myself. But that's for everybody to be shared with an instinct, a hunger to share what she knew to be true. What she had seen in front of her very own eyes. What we've been waiting for here, it's a come, it's arrived. 
The hope of our nation of Israel, it's here. It's come. Let me tell you about it. She evidently just showed straight away, it was her, you know, from the reading of the passage, the first thing, the first thought in her mind, to share with those that had been hungering after it, those that were looking for the consolation for the salvation of Israel. Her heart, her instinct was to share, to testify, to witness. So we ask, or I ask, you know, well, why does Luke record this? These fairly short accounts of these two, if we can say it, fairly normal people. There's nothing else kind of spoken about them in their gospel narrative. They're part of the, the temple, sort of dutifully attending every day, every, every week. We know Luke was very diligent in the way that he records the gospel narrative. He gives more to the birth of Christ pretty much than the other three gospels combined. But I, I believe there's like in that, the testimony, the witness, Deuteronomy, there's uh, a, a, a directive in Deuteronomy 19 that says, a, you know, a, a, matter, a matter needs two or three witnesses for it to be, you know, sort of considered and to be observed. Generally sort of in, in, in the legal sense, but a matter, needs, a matter needs two or three witnesses. Now, I don't know if this is, you know, what Luke had in mind, but if we read through Luke chapter 2, the first witnesses were the shepherds, and then the, 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 the next two sort of individuals or groups are Simeon and Anna. So Simeon and Anna were part of, could be a part of that sort of two to three witnesses of what had occurred, of what had been going on, of what God had been doing. And witnesses testify, don't they? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So the challenge, I suppose, that I've had on my heart and for us today is, you know, are we good witnesses? Are we good, like Hannah and Simeon, of seeing what's really going on in front of our eyes, like Simeon was, and sharing it liberally, like Hannah was? Are we good witnesses? So, a challenge of sorts. What happens on a Sunday? Not that it's all, of course, confined to a Sunday, but what, what happens on a Sunday morning here, do we witness about it on a Monday? What happens here on a Sunday? Do we tell anyone about it on a Monday? Last week, we heard of Norbert and Valeria's son, Joel, being healed supernaturally being healed. We were either close to or part of a group of people singing an angelic and a heavenly tongue, supernaturally. We were part of upstairs seeing two lives of service being honoured by a body of believers. Did we tell anybody on Monday... Did we testify? I didn't. I didn't. 
Are we good witnesses about what God is doing? Norbert, I'm bringing Norbert up quite a bit. You're getting a few mentions. Every, every time I ask, he's, he's writing down, didn't he? Not, and every time I say his name, his eyes go. <laughs> last time, I promise. Last, but Norbert, Norbert said also last week that un, very truthfully, you know, unbelief and doubt stop signs and wonders. You know, Jesus, you know, refused to, to work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Unbelief and doubt stop signs and wonders. But then when they do happen, do we share? Do we witness? Do we testify about what is going on and what is happening in front of our eyes? If we look at Matthew chapter 5. So just on the Sermon on the the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, it's just interesting, you know, when Jesus says right from the start, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say try and be a light in the world. He doesn't sort of lay it down as a challenge. He says you are. You are. As followers of Christ, as children of God, you are. The light of the world, which is at the same time a great compliment and a great encouragement to us, but also a responsibility. You are the light of the world to testify and to witness as Anna did and as Simeon did of what they saw and knew to be true. Because the truth is Christ didn't come to form a a secret society of, of handshakes and covert activity and hidden agendas, creating material that just says internal use only. Christ didn't come to create a, a safe space, a comfort zone for believers where we can feel comfortable where we can collect our seashell, seashells and prepare our and improve our golf handicap when we get to a certain age. Christ didn't do want Christ didn't want to form a secret society or a comfortable place or a, or a holy huddle where good people come together and are really good at, at, at pressing in, but find it very difficult to reach out and let people know what is going on. And testify and witness to the moves of the Spirit and what God is doing. Rather, when I read the Gospels, when I read of the life that Jesus led and what he was trying to teach, certainly in his disciples, to build upon in building a church and building a faithful world, where well, it was for people to shine bright. Just like our, 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 our 
you know, what we try and talk about around shining the transformative power of Jesus Christ to whoever we meet. And, and, and that signposts and directs and leads to Father God. That they see, just as the passage says, they see your light. They see our deeds. They see our behavior. They see our decisions, our actions. And they ultimately glorify the Father. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And then it praises and glorifies our Father in heaven. That they not necessarily are are turning their ears and their eyes to us or to this place, but to Father God. Aligning their heart, not to a, to a doctrine or a dogma or a, or a particular expression of church, but aligning their hearts to our Heavenly Father. That they start to ask, well, where is this coming from? What type of father in heaven must these, peop- these people have to be acting in this way, to be behaving in this way? And that we may just be more comfortable, more liberal, more unashamed in telling people on a Monday what had happened and what went on on a Sunday. For some, it can just become a bit of a normal. I went to church and people started... Speaking a heavenly tongue. Well, it happens, I don't know, once, a, once every three Sundays. Somewhere, and we hear about healing. It's distinctive. Time and time and again, people are, are, are amazed sometimes when I speak on, on the door that such a group exists. What gets people out on a minus two morning to defrost their car? To come and worship a living God. Never be, don't, don't lose how surprising, how distinctive. What for, for some here may just be part and parcel of our Christian expression of how distinctive, how eye-opening, how, how, how just uh, different what you may have in your life, what we have as a body of believers is for 99% of the population of this community. So church, grow in patience, grow in faithfulness, grow in witnessing, grow in testifying the gospel truth, grow in giving Father God the glory and may our our light just continually shine to those that we meet. Amen.